Hi there, it's your Valley Through Vulnerability host, Gary Turner here. Just introducing Ben Lunn, who is a composer who kindly joined me on the podcast today. I found Ben to be a really, really inspiring person, someone that um, really gave me an education um, today, to be completely honest, in a number of areas um, around disability. But I think a couple of the, the, the main things, just as a preamble for this, this podcast, one is you'll be amazed that Ben doesn't have any sort of political major or any outwardly political um, education, just a very interesting, curious human being who has a real passion for the, the area of work that he serves. And also one of the other big things for me was around my misinterpretation of what he was saying around um, people of colour accessing resources when they have disabilities. And uh, yeah, it's quite hard to hear, but he gave the example of a white person accessing and resources um, if they had autism as being some form of challenge, whereas if it was a person of colour with autism, they would be seen as having delinquency. So there, there appears to be, um, even within sort of disability um, analysis and circles, a, a horrific um, gulf between how white people are seen with disability and how people of colour are seen with disability. And it's something that was a really, really new reflection for me as well. So I do hope you find this interesting. Please dive in. And um, of course, do offer any feedback to Ben or myself directly. And uh, we hope you find this interesting. Thank you. So welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. Uh, today, I'm really excited to welcome Ben Lunn onto the podcast, who's a composer. Good morning, Ben. Morning. Well, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right, getting by bit by bit. Fantastic. So would you mind, as we, as we get going, would you mind giving the listeners a bit of a background as you know who, who Ben is? Obviously, I've mentioned you're a composer. You know, what, what are you passionate about? And, uh, and what do you do day to day? Okay. Uh, so, yes, I'm a composer and I, it's, uh, what, originally from Sunderland? northeast of England for anyone sort of outside of the end of the world. I um, grew up through brass bands, listening and playing with them. That's where I started learning and then started writing because of that and then went on to study in Cardiff where I did my bachelor's and then I went out to Vilnius in Lithuania to study for my master's and while I was there I was then researching composers from the three Baltic states as I was particularly enamoured by that region of the world musically and then since I've come back to the UK now living in Glasgow I've been doing a lot more work in relation to disability and there's called the history of disability within composing so looking at um, composer at history who are disabled or looking at how today composing can actually be made more to include disabled voices in some form or other. Wow. Well, wow, really, really, and is that an area where you spend most of your time now? So you sort of, you involve full time in music, Ben, or are there, there are other things that you're doing? Well, essentially life is freelancers, lots of different, dotting around for different things all over the place. But I've been fortunate enough to do lots of different bits with Drake Music and Drake Music Scotland, which are two organisations dedicated to improving access to music making, as well as 
helping or promote disabled voices in in that field as well. But the then with my sort of input has been more about bringing it toward composing more than just building instruments that are completely accessible to everyone or building new ways of educating people to make sure that the educational practices are accessible to everyone. Okay, great. Well, it sounds, sounds, it sounds like a very passionate area that you're mm -hmm. working in. So just if you could go back to your sort of um, studies, your masters, I find that really interesting. So what was it about the sort of music in, in Lithuania that really sort of inspired you or touched you in some way that, that made you want to study the, your masters there? Well, the all three Baltic states, they have quite a lot of interesting things to offer musically. And what I particularly loved is because of the way information wasn't able to go back and forth quite so freely when the Iron Curtain was up and about. It then meant that composers in the region had to rely on themselves and then build their own sort of internal loop of development, which was quite a fascinating thing to observe because then it also then meant that there's some really original voices that haven't been able to get their music out in the same kind of manner. And that's still kind of the case today where people aren't really investigating that area for whatever reason. And so what I found is the music is just incredibly original and just really rather striking. So it's just easiest to get out there and be surrounded by it and find out what people are doing, what's in the water, as it were, to make people that way and yeah, find out what I could. Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds really, sounds really interesting. So I'm, um, I'm probably your worst sort of um, customer right now because I'm a little <laughs> bit of an electronic <laughs> dance dance monster on the other side but i guess there's still quite a bit of creativity that goes into that somewhere <laughs> so if you just um talk a little bit about the work you did with drake then thanks i'm quite interested in that so you, you talk about obviously making music more accessible for people with disabilities um for example so can you expand on that a little bit so is there okay. is it across all genres or is it across all sort of aspects of music just to give a bit more more depth yeah, so within, Position currently is as sort of associate artist, so it's a very freelancey position. So I come in for particular projects. So the first project they got me doing was back in November, where they then commissioned me to write a piece based on the idea of disability in the environment. And so within that, I was then looking at how disabled people exist within the current political environment because it's, it's far more dangerous than say global warming, realistically, for disabled people. Because it's all very well and good to sort of make sure that. The world doesn't melt, but if we've got fascists everywhere, it doesn't help disabled people in any <laughs> any sense of the word. So we won't get to see the future, anyways. Um, so I then created a small piece for that, which was then performed in Manchester back in April, and will then be look like we'll be getting another performance in the near future. But with the other work that Drake Music generally do across the board, there's sort of multiple prongs depending on the project. So. For example, they'd got me and a colleague of mine called Tim Yates to go to Amsterdam and work with the pedagogical students there to then sort of show them, one, give them alternative models to what our understanding of disability is. So it's not just music as therapy, it's actually how people can interact with, with, with music properly and not just be there to have a nice hour and then be left where they can actually use it as a creative outlet and so on. And so that, for me, my role was much more on the theoretical, so sort of showing how flawed things like the medical model or charity model are, and then introducing people to like the social model and how to sort of put that into practice. And then my colleague Tim was then showing how to sort of take circuit boards and then use that to sort of build switches, which can then be made musical and 
going on from there. And so within Drake Music, they then have a collection of R&D elements, which so then people are developing instruments for very specific scenarios. And then genre-wise, it's as wide as there is, as the, the musical genres are in the world around us. And it's quite simply what people want and then just trying to then make that fit to what they want. So then the great example is the uh, invention of the Kelly Caster, which was written, was made for John Kelly, who is a wonderful musician, but because of the way his hands are, couldn't play a guitar traditionally. So then it's then building a guitar that feels like a guitar so with the strumming and the holding net and so on, but without the speed or the, the problems of dexterity. And so then Charles Matthews, who's the person who built it, managed to then build it in Wake and then use sort of switches at the bottom to control and then it's still strums and works and it's just magnificent as an instrument that's wonderful it's funny actually i was um because thankfully to because i believe it was via was it meg pippin and then drake that how, how you and i found each other yeah i was actually watching that um that video is it's actually quite quite emotional actually to be honest actually seeing the two of them talking about that journey mm -hmm. to, to building the, the the kelly cast and i was just like wow like, i was quite blown away by that actually really quite blown away because this is the sort of stuff we don't see though isn't it? You know, it's not, it doesn't get on the news necessarily. It doesn't get on the front of pages of papers, this stuff. Yeah, well, the big problem sort of disability tends to have is we sort of fall into two camps. We're either too disabled to really do much or we're sort of, we're doing so brilliantly despite the disability. So it's sort of that transcending our disability and that's when it becomes newsworthy. So this particularly inspiration born is quite a prevalent voice, as it were, with sort of talking about disabled people which is just getting infuriating after a while but this yeah it's the, the environment we're in realistically and so then when there's genuinely good and interesting things happening we just don't get to hear it in the same kind of vein yeah well, well i'm hoping and i think i think we'll agree it's when, when we sort of first met then you know if we get even two or three people listening to this and it shifts their thinking and they, they spread the podcast and it's something isn't it so so that's that's brilliant so again thanks for sharing that um you know the themes of this podcast are around sort of different topics such as awareness, inclusion, vulnerabilities. It's very clear that, you know, there's an inclusion piece that we're talking about today. How do you find, how do you think, you know, if anyone's listening to us talk now, what sort of one or two things could you recommend just off the top of your head to try and help people become more aware of these great things that are going on, like with you, like with Drake, like with the Kelly Castle development? How can people try and be more curious around these sort of things that are going on, do you think? Well, essentially, going out and looking is a very good way to sort of yeah, to get yourself sort of more in, um, because a lot of this stuff is existing as it is, so it's just a matter of finding it more than necessarily having to be the person who sort of gets out there. And the, the other sort of big thing, which is regularly a common problem with sort of helping disabled people is the assumption that disabled people don't necessarily necessarily know what they want or how to help themselves and so a lot of well-meaning people accidentally then just offer help without actually listening to what the need is and so if you're wanting to talk to these people talk to everyone in that instance because so people within this field are more than willing to share us listen more than just spew stuff at us and the, yeah the usual oh it's time for what you're doing and then not actually listening to what they want to do, as it were. Do you know something? What, what I find so fascinating about what you've just described for me, Ben, is like the parallels with the world of work. So if I look at a lot of the other conversations I've had so far on these podcasts, the lack of listening, regardless of whether able-bodied, disabled, in the workplace, there just seems to be an endemic of 
<laughs> you know, just mm. the, the inability to be present, stop, think, breathe, and listen to what someone else is saying. So I think there's a real parallel there for me. There's a bit of that, but there's also sort of a lot of people fear not knowing as well. That's sort of the other big thing. So you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing or you're not able to contribute and so on because society is built in such a way that our value is based on what we're producing, what we're contributing. That as soon as you have a moment, momentary gap of something, it then means you're not worth as much. And so that's one of the reasons why people want to fill that void, particularly in sort of workplaces and so on. <laughs> That's a, it's a really interesting reflection, that actually, Ben. That's a really interesting reflection. As you say, it's almost like filling the void, the, the nice space where you can think and reflect with something else. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's really fair. How does that sort of translate to sort of music? Is that, does that have any parallel sort of musically in terms of, you know, do you, do you feel that some of the music you create or you help other people create, is, is, is there something in that about creating space for people to enjoy the musical process to some extent? Is that, is... Maybe with... To be fair, with a lot of the things I'm doing, I know very much that what I put into the music, it doesn't really matter in the end because everyone's going to take out what they want from it, regardless of what I put into it. And so it's just a matter of giving people a space to sort of sit and listen to. A lot of the things I do, it is just sort of, it takes a while to sort of do something, but you can just sort of sit and sit back and sort of appreciate the time you're there for it. Or it's just very particularly, uh, uh, something that I'm wanting to sort of express and just get hammered at you in some form. So like with the thing I did for Break Music, it was drawing the parallel between the T4 program, which was the essentially the Nazi math euthanasia and sterilization program used against disabled people, and the uh, the wonderful impact of austerity has had on disabled voices and disabled people across the board, and so. So then throughout the piece, the players are pressing these triggers, and so every single trigger is then setting off names of people who have died as a result of both of these actions. Wow. Well, that's um, very yeah, and so it's, because it, yeah, because what's particularly, what I found within th those two parallels is the problem with, obviously the Tories, no matter how much I dislike them, they're not Nazis. The problem is, is they don't have a vision of not getting rid of, it's just a lack of care. A lack of interest, whereas with the Nazis, are very definitive reasons to do this. They wanted to do this for a very particular purpose. Stories just don't care, yet they're still killing that many people, mm. which is kind of terrifying because as soon as you, if they then suddenly as a party decided to have a, a thought of that, they would then be able to do significantly more damage than what they've done already. Mm. In, 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 interesting point because, you know, again, if we look at what's on what we see on the news yeah generally it, you know austerity is bad but you know as you say that there's never that there's never the depth as you're now describing around the impact on people that you know struggle to mm. access resources or or just have a more difficult time you know living what you would class quote a normal life you know that mm. doesn't come up does it so can i come back can i find it really interesting because I, I read one of your blogs which is really really poignant you know very very powerful one of your more recent ones where you spoke about this austerity and actually how you know, this, this, you know, basically around basically that disabled people are being left to die on the side, basically, yeah. for some purposes. Do you mind expanding on that a little bit without, you know, I'm just interested to see, do you see any solutions to that? What, what, how, how, how can that be reversed in terms of maybe from an inclusion or communication, you know, inclusive point of view? Is there something else that can be done there? 
Well, the problem is we a lot of people don't see the extent of the problem. This is this is sort of the, the, the biggest battle in the first place. Um, so, for example, within there's a wonderful article I read called there. Uh, I can't remember the name of the writer now, um, but what she was doing was highlighting that within sci-fi that there's lots of stairs. But in lots of sci-fi, there's almost no ramps. And so what this, even though it's a very small, minute detail, but what that's essentially doing is that in the far distant future, ability does not exist. Because there are the means to make it accessible. There isn't a need to make it accessible. And so because this vision is then getting rid of disabled people somehow, that's it. That is a, a vision of utop utopian future that there isn't disabled people about. Even things like um, Black Mirror did a very similar scenario where they had this, a social media thing where put on and you went into this virtual reality and the disabled person was then walking. Or within the uh, recent passing of Stephen Hawking with the amount of images of, of him sort of getting out of his chair and walking to, walking to the stars. I can understand people's vision of that, but ultimately the chair was what helped them move. It wasn't holding him back. He was holding him back as it wasn't awkwardly. And so as people don't see that problem first, we then can't even begin to address other problems within that. The and most people can't see that you can live happily disabledly, as it were. And that puts it down to the biggest problem more than anything else. If you look at all the narratives that sort of exist within media, within theatre, within films and so on, it's always very much a Able person is either very sad about their existence because they're disabled, they can't do everything else, or they're kind of content, but if they kind of show the main protagonist this, uh, because they're kind of content with their loss, me with my ability to walk and be able to do everything normally, I shouldn't be as sad as the disabled person, so they are my life lesson, and so on. As those narratives are constantly being fed to us, we can't address the big problem that disabled people can live happily, we can do everything everyone else can do. There's certain things that are in our way. So for example, if we can't use public transport, public transport is then stopping us from working. If the work environment, if we can't get in to do the job, we then can't do the job just because we're not able to get in. If we can't get the same access to education because we're diagnosed young and so then sort of quarantined off from society, that's another problem. Or for example, within the deaf community, the fact that only about a statistic of like 2% of Deaf people are able to get full education in time, which is horrendous. If you had that for any other linguistical population, that's 98% of a linguistic group, the ability to actually learn in their language is, would be intensely genocidal on, on, a sort of, on a cultural level, but it's because it's the deaf, it's not something like that. And so there are all these elements they're all feeding towards it because we can't see disabled people living happily. And then we then can't see them doing more than that. There's a wonderful quote from Joseph Strauss in Extraordinary Measures where he's talking about for, within music in particular, disability falls into the trap of being either being therapy or, or what's the other one? Or is it always an educational tool or something along those lines? And that, that's the big problem because as we can't see disabled people living happily, we then can't see disabled people making art. And so then their ability to interact with art is then either as a therapeutic thing or just as a little, let's keep them in thing, let them learn something, but they won't actually make anything meaningful, they won't contribute to it. 
and so on. And that's all of those problems sort of all feed into each other quite quickly. Wow. Do you, do you know something? You've, it's, it's an education for me. There's a certain parts of what you've described, which I was in tune to, but that almost, it's, it's, it's almost like reverse product placement. You know, you're not placing disabled people in a future view of the world. So people mm. aren't expecting it to be there. Whereas we'll put a Rolex on James Bond is on James Bond's wrist or we'll put him in a R8 so we can expect and aspire to be that. That's, that's, that's really hit me quite hard, Ben. That's a really interesting. Well, what was quite, speaking of that, what was quite funny is there's a opera company I saw recently where they did a production where um, I know members of the chorus relatively well, and one of the members is quite disabled. I won't bring her name up, I won't bring the name of the company, but because the director didn't really know what it was, they, they'd sort of hidden the chorus behind and then so they would just sort of appear in this painting and you know, it was all very lovely. But because they didn't really envisage having a disabled person in the chorus, they then didn't know what to do with her. So she was sort of on the edge the entire time, not really interacting. Yet, the director managed to find out a way to bring a horse on stage. <laughs> oh, I don't know what to say then, do you? you know? but, yeah, so that sort of highlighted quite drastically the ability to all you need is a vision. If you can have the vision to be able to get a horse on stage, you can get everyone on stage. We shouldn't, we shouldn't laugh, but you sort of have to, don't you, at the sort of stupidity of it? It is. It is it's, yeah, it's, it's a weird scenario. There's not, there's not many sort of existences that such regular occurrence. Yeah, it is shockingly common in that instance. Wow. So, so if you were going to sort of point, are there any particular resources? Because I'm really keen, you know, I'm learning from you today as well. I really want any listeners to. And I'm really, really asking this, any listener to take a step following us speaking towards something or someone to just try and understand a bit more. Where would you point? Them? Would you point them towards Drake Music? Would you point them towards other resources just at this juncture? Yeah, so Drake Music and Drake Music Scotland are both fantastic organisations in that, but obviously their remit is within music primarily. If you're wanting to look at disability in general, I would always recommend, particularly for people in Britain, to seek out... DPAC, which is Disabled People Against Cuts, and they are a fantastic organisation because they, they exist as a pressure group to make sure that actually policy isn't going against disabled people in the manner that they have been going. And so there's a lot of political work that they are doing, which is just magnificent, and they need as much support as they can get. If you're, and then within every single extra bit of disability, if you wanted to learn about particular disabled person or just a particularly disabled bit, you need to sort of look out for organisations that are particularly disabled-led, not necessarily to suggest that all non-disabled-led organisations are bad, but it's more in the sense of it's led from an experiential knowledge, which is where a lot of doctors accidentally fall into that trap, the assumption that actually a disabled person doesn't know their life particularly well, mostly because of the amount of times you get to see the doctor and all the other time pressure you don't have that same sort of time to sort of dwell on that. So, yeah, there's lots of internal problems that make doctors sort of forced to rush to a decision where actually, if you go to organisations, particularly for autism, the uh, or, uh, Autistic Self-Advocacy Network in the United States is magnificent for that. And then there is a growing organisation called Autistica, which is a UK-based one, and they are both absolutely fantastic because they are very much led from autistic voices and then they're looking also towards adulthood which is a particularly big problem for 
autistic people where you can get lots of support, but as soon as you're 18, nothing. Or things will disappear because the majority of support is directed towards parents more than necessarily towards autistic people, as it were. So then we kind of forget that autistic people and adults. Really fascinating. And what I'd like to do, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Ben, if you could just share those resources with me, I'll make sure they go into the show notes as well to make it easier yeah. for people listening to, um, to to click through and have a look at those. Because what's really interesting for me, if I look, so my traditional, let's say, view as I look into organisations that I've worked for in the past, what I'm sort of sensing and feeling, there's almost like this, everyone talks about hierarchy. There really does seem to, you know, there's a lot of people you can class, you know, able-bodied that are excluded then you have disabled people that are excluded you then you know so there's this there's this really interesting pyramid in my head right now around that really you've got these guys at the top whether it's able-bodied disabled whatever but it's basically this huge power base at the top and everybody mm. else below them is fighting to try and be heard yeah. <laughs> you know it's really 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 interesting mm. and there's another interesting one this was a fantastic little eye-opener for me my a, a good colleague of mine called chris halpin Absolutely fantastic musician. He did a rather ranty article about stock images and sort of highlighted that with oh, the stock images of people in wheelchairs are just ridiculously inaccurate because the amount of wheelchairs that are being used in them tends to be the sort of wheelchairs used in hospitals, not the ones that people live with constantly. The postures that people have sat in these images are, are just wrong. If you sat like that all day, you're going to you back in or, or or that everyone's looking very sad and forlorn or looking out the window philosophically and so on so i then investigated within sort of autism stock photos and it's the same kind of hilarity lots of kids with hands over their ears or just looking oddly in the background but weirdly there's very few kids of color almost all autistic stock images are of white kids it's and it's those kind of little things that markers to understand that actually a lot, a lot of the problems that exist are very much on an ideological basis which is constantly being fed all the time but it's funny that these little things that's sort of everywhere but yeah I'll, that'll be on the list of things i'll give you in. that's yes yeah, but for, for me and, and again this <laughs> you know i'm glad we can laugh about some of this because i really believe we're gonna it's gonna make a difference to some people and how they sort of think and, and sort of try and investigate some of these topics including me but it's, i just find it bizarre that you can't, we're talking so much about racism still at the moment and you know inequality and all these other things now you're telling me we've got you, you know there's only there's only white pictures stock pictures of white autistic kids yeah. so it's, it's just like, like everyone's always thinking sort of racism on a sort of colored but you no know, people of color basis now we're saying this sort of whiteism in terms of disability <laughs> well it's, it's more in the sense of it's, it's still it's not really that it's more in the sense of this Behaviours that would be classified as autistic on a white person would just be seen as delinquency on a black person, which is even worse than that. It's, oh, and so if you, the great example, if you look at sort of people who, in, in America, whenever someone goes up and beats up a load of people, with a white you always look at their mental health and then blame their mental health for the reason why they did that. If it's a person of colour or any ethnic minority, it's because of their race. And this is the thing, and so essentially disability in, in the way a lot of it is kind of a less than white, but it's not quite good, as it were, in that kind of instance, whereas people who are coloured then don't get the same kind of access to resources. The amount of, yeah, the amount of support towards autistic people of colour is just horrifying. It's extremely low, and then there's sort of, and, and the amount of times that sort of people 
people with various mental health difficulties who have just been killed by police because they're black, but because of mental health difficulties, wouldn't necessarily be able to communicate themselves well enough to policemen to get shot up a lot more. So then life expectancy of people, of particularly of uh, disabled people who are of, of any different ethnic minority outside of white is extremely low. Okay. And terrifyingly so because of these kind of scenarios. Oh, that's interesting. No, thank you for, for, for clarifying that. So actually, yeah, it's, it sort of reinforces the learnt behaviours around racism and how maybe consistent that is. Because this is something come up with Perry, actually, Perry Timms, who's a good um, contact and friend of mine on second episode of this, ben, of this podcast series. And it really impacted me because he said things like, you know, how people view disability, how people talk about racism, sexism, ageism. Every one of th these things are learnt behaviours, which means they yeah. can be unlearned if there's the desire to do that. Yeah. Which I find quite, so I'm not just trying to be optimistic, but I think it's just an important point that, you know, we don't have to carry on this way. True, but it's, the other thing is as well as with a lot of this, it's, it's all very good and it's learned, but it's always far more insidious than we believe it is in that instance, because it's all very well and good getting people not to say things, not to say certain words, but that doesn't address it. If you're not saying the words, it then just sort of hides it away, or if you still have the institutional structures that stop people of a certain background being able to interact with society, the society is still racist, it's still ableist, it's just, it's not saying it out loud. Uh, there's a, a, another great one um, on YouTube, there's a fantastic video from Akala, who's talking, who's a talk at Oxford University, and who's talking about the history of Africa, and it's magnificent because he highlights a lot of the problems with, in sort of archaeological and historical research into the region, because as the majority of scholars are European people, the vision they put on Africa is always an incredibly racist one in that instance because of the intention of trying to make sure that essentially to justify what the slave trade was doing, they then had to make sure that all discussion of, of, of black people in Africa is as lesser humans. And so when you then look at, particularly of Egypt, it's a fantastic circumstance because Egypt's quite so brilliant and everyone knows of Egypt, you then have to all these arguments are trying to then suggest that it shouldn't have been African. They had to come from somewhere else. So this is where even the whole sort of conspiracy theories that, oh, it was aliens, that people are more willing to believe it was aliens than Africans who did it. And it, that's kind of an interesting thing. Even the people who may be fallen for the whole alien conspiracy theory aren't necessarily saying overtly racist things, but the fact that they're falling down that line is based in a form of racism. And all of these things need to be addressed to be able to get some form of equality on any form of level. And it's just quite an interesting one in that instance, but it, it needs to be sort of addressed and analysed in that instance. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really good challenge, actually, because um, there's a book I read quite recently, actually, by a guy called Bina Condola, um, mm -hmm. Racism, the, the Danger of Indifference. And it's very much in line with what you've just described, which is the more insidious nature of like micro incivilities. So give you an example of my one. I've mentioned on another podcast and I'm in, I'm vulnerable enough to say it, but for a while, you know, you know that, that, that moment where someone cuts across three lanes on a motorway and you just happen to see that it's an Asian woman driving. Oh, bloody hell, it's another Asian woman. They always do that. Like, no, no actually, Gary, that's what loads of people do. Well, all sorts of backgrounds do that. But you get this stereotype sort of in your head yes. a couple of times and you go, oh, that's normal. And it's, you know, unless we check ourselves with those things that happen to us, and I have to check myself on that one. You know, I think we need to be doing what you and I are doing today and talk about these things. And I think the more we do that, the more chance we have <clears> to shift the dial bit by bit. Yeah, because it's not going to come from government, is it? So, 
Or, or exactly. From government. Who knows? <laughs> uh, no, essentially, government will only change if it's forced to. To be honest, throughout particularly put this, throughout its history, the only times government has really made any changes on the people's voices have been particularly loud. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a very historical thing that Britain, in particular, government is very keen to just keep the status quo and conform with sort of variations of the status quo. And that, that was only at moments when there was sort of a huge mass uprising that things had to change. Like the whole reason the welfare state came in is because quite so many people had thrown their, li- thrown their lives on, onto the heaps, as it were, to then deal with the Second World War. The, to make sure that there wasn't sort of a massive upcry of people after there needed to be a radical political change. If everything stayed at the status quo, they wouldn't have stayed where they were, so they had to adapt. It's, it's really interesting because when we had our first sort of catch up then, you're, as much as you're in your space, you know, you're clearly a very talented composer doing the work you do with Drake, etc. You've got an incredible knowledge around the sort of the political environment and landscape. Has that always been in you, or has that been something that's been driven by your sort of work in the space that you operate within? Or has it always been in? Um, a mixture of all things. So it's one particularly uh, growing up through brass bands. There's a, a huge history of sort of trade unionism within the brass band movement because a lot of rivalry bands were very much connected to mining, or they were sort of um, creative outlets of pit villages and so on, and so. That's, that was sort of an introduction to that, but then as very much as I was growing up, it was then seeing that we don't exist in a vacuum, and that's sort of the big problem with, that, that was always the big problem I found with what are often dubbed as modernist composers and with modernist artists, or even within sort of classical artists, this idea that you could build a pure, wonderful piece of art, when actually, not really, it's always an, an an item of its time. Everything surrounding it will impact what it is. And so without that understanding of what's around it, you then won't be able to understand what it's responding to, or at least how it's existing, because everything is responding to the world around it, either by tacitly accepting it or trying to challenge it in some form. Mm-hmm. Mm, very, very interesting. So you didn't do sort of like a politics degree as well as music then, in any way? No, but it's lots of work within... A, uh, with trade unions like United and so on, and then also just sort of lots of reading of various different political scholars and so on. Uh, it's yeah, it's that, that's the thing that's able to challenge me to then keep me connected in some form because very Slavoj uh, Zizek sort of was the best one in this instance, pointing out this everything is ideological. Whenever we talk about ideology, we tend to sort of use it as derogatory term against communism, but actually all form of existence is not an expression of ideology. It's just what is the ideology that we are expressing, depending on the circumstances. It's, it's not particularly government-driven. It's just everyone just does that because that's how we sort of make our individuality. It's our connection to our world around us and how we interpret that. That's interesting. I'm sort of sensing it links a little bit, let's say, back to what you're talking about, the whole sci-fi story and what that future... No, ultimately, that's an ideology of some description. Yeah. Somewhere. Exactly. Mm. Very fascinating. I could talk to you for days, Ben. This is really, really, really interesting, mate. Honestly, really, really interesting topic. So, what's inspired? If I can ask you, this is a question I like to ask most of my guests. In amongst all of this, you're obviously very active. You know, doing great work in, in your sort of musical sphere. What what things are inspiring you the most right now? Whether it be people, or it be things, or something that you're experiencing, or you're involved in. What, what's inspiring you the most right now? As we 
something in your world? Well, to be fair, since come back, connecting more to the disabled community has been particularly fantastic for me. It's been a very, very good life lesson for me. Um, because it is, a, it is a wonderful world that I sadly don't know enough about. I'm still getting to grips with very different disabled writers and historians and so on. It's, it's a fantastic sort of introduction for me. And then it's, it's a lot more study of sort of wider politics as well, because I, I know that my sort of understanding of politics has been very much geared towards a particular elements, would say, within Britain or within uh, former Soviet Europe and so on. So I'm then trying to then expand it further and look at other nations because Europe isn't the only existing place in the world. There are many other places we need to understand everything that way. And then, yeah, and then just uh, keep reading, keep finding things because there's a lot again. And so uh, what I quite like is one of my competition teachers, Aaron Veer, in one of the lessons he sort of pointed out, it doesn't matter what you don't know now. The question is, do you identify what you don't know and then you go and change that? I was quite like that, that, that kind of way of thinking. Yeah, that's lovely. I think there was um, a book, Bookmaster Fuller quote as well, I think, something around you can't, you can't change the existing reality, you have to create a new one. Just sort of similar, sort, sort, mm. sort, of, sort, of, sort of similar mindset to some extent. Yeah, cool. I, I like that. Very good. So what's, what's up for you next in terms of your music? What, what sort of projects are you working on? What sort of other... Uh, other things are coming up for you, Ben, out of interest. So currently, I'm working on a piece for the National Open Youth Orchestra, and so they're a they were a, previously the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra, which is based in Bristol. And so, what they are is a essentially a youth orchestra, which is then not just bringing in traditional orchestral instruments, but also then bringing in various different instruments and abilities that sort of extend outside beyond that. So then it's including pe uh, people who then have very specialised instruments which doesn't have the repertoire or doesn't connect to the orchestral repertoire in some way and then bringing them in or just then building pieces that could then be built based on people's mobility. So for example, one of the instruments being that is, is likely to be used is then being controlled by eye movement and so on. So then that will only have, say, six notes and then it's then choosing which six notes can it play and then other stuff like that and just bringing that all together in a flexible manner that could then be done by any group of people depending on how many people they then get in a space at a time and all this sort of stuff and then beyond that it's then just lots of theming at this point hopefully some more projects will get rolling along but it's lots of meetings lots of applications and yeah. So, yeah, that's all a bit of the boring side, but at least the Open Youth Orchestra is quite a fun one where I'm just sketching all these little pieces that can bring various size people and various different um, abilities and instruments together just to make some form of music. I just, I just love what I'm, this sort of mixing the old and new to some extent, mm. got this technology angle coming together with the sort of more traditional sort of musical instruments. Seems to be quite an interesting space, Ben. Mm. Cool. Very, very good. Have you got any um, any sort of passing words you'd like to share with anyone that might be listening? You know, any sort of recommendations, any any comments you'd like to throw out to anyone that might be listening? Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Well, I'll, I'll give you the full list of all, all, all the different articles I've mentioned, but then you can sort of give links to them so then people can read them. And Brilliant. there's lots of other wonderful writers who sort of are deeply connected to that. And there's a wonderful um, page on Medium called Disability Act. They're quite a good blog to read quite regularly where they have various different writers from all over the place discussing various different elements of disability. And so it would be quite a good 
outlets as well. I'll put their link in there as well. Brilliant. Well, no, that, I'd like to, like I say, for me, it's very much an early stage journey for me as well, Ben. So I really, really appreciate you sparing the time to, to give us some insight on your views, what you're passionate about. And uh, I hope we keep in touch, Ben. Will do. Brilliant. Thanks a lot for your time, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hello there, just your host Gary Turner wrapping up this excellent, insightful and uh, really educational podcast for me today uh, with Ben Lund, the composer. So just to wrap up a few of my, my other key takeaways, one is that just, again, I know I mentioned it in my opener, but Ben is just so wise, uh, not just musically, but also geopolitically and how all of these different strands pull together um, with regard to improving access for disability. And I just found it really, really inspiring and really interesting. And I'm grateful to have, have Ben in my network. I also found it really impactful and to, to hear the meaning behind the different projects that, that Ben's working on. So please, please do have a look at his um, blog page because it's quite difficult reading at times with some of the stuff that Ben writes, but it, you know, it's reality, it's what we're dealing with. Um, so I'd uh, assert that everybody should uh, spend some time and have a look at Ben's blogs. Uh, one of the quotes that, or a couple of the quotes that really got me was one that we mentioned that lots of well-meaning people accidentally offer help without actually listening to what the need is. Now this for me has so many parallels with the world of work and I also think it was really interesting how then also tied this together to the fact that society or certainly the capitalist model values being heard, it values production, it values stuff being said. If you're not filling the void with, uh, of space with noise then you're potentially not as valuable as otherwise you could be. I think there's some really yeah some pretty direct challenges and reflections there. I'm certainly contemplating that this evening. I think what's really clear, and I guess it, I'm guessing that's why inclusion and, and diversity indeed exist at all, is that we really need to start making sure that we're including people by design in every area of life. You know, at the end of the day, whether people have disabilities, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely fascinating for me, whether it's race, you know, whether it's gender, you know, at the end of the day, what, what is it that makes us have to try and be more human? Uh, and this is something that's come up in in another podcast that I recorded actually today, is that how, how is it that we're having to try and reconnect and re-understand what it means to be human? It's a really, really fascinating quandary we're dealing with right now. And I just think, and I have to partly laugh, but it's just in its stupidity, where Ben spoke, gave us his story around how someone in a choir who, who was disabled had to sit on the sideline as they did not know what to do with that person. But the director managed somehow to, somehow to get a horse onto the stage as part of the choir. It's a fascinating, fascinating uh, paradox there. And then finally, and this one's quite, yes, I'd, I'd never thought of it until Ben referenced it. Disabled people are being written out of the future. And what Ben meant by that is that if you look at sci-fi films, you know, Star Trek, whatever, there's no, there's no ramps anymore. Um, there's no need to have a ramp because ultimately everybody's able to walk or everyone's teleporting. You know, ultimately the future, you know, how the future of, um, films are made, sci-fi is made, is that nobody has a disability. And that's not representative of the world that we live in, indeed the world that we will still live in, because there will always be people um, that will, will have dis disabilities or separately they may have different challenges in life. And you know, we need to be trying to include everybody. And I know it's not always easy, people put it down to cost, but ultimately for me it's about humanity. It's how do we include people by design? 
And I think uh, that's one of my big takeaways from this, this podcast. So please challenge me, please challenge Ben. We appreciate any feedback. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, really appreciate it. If you could go to iTunes, the podcast is valued through vulnerability and please leave a rating there. That will help other people find the podcast. Thanks very much for joining us and I uh, hope, to, hope to see you on the next podcast. Cheers for now. Thank you.